we'll just be there for a minute. We'll spend most of the time in 1 Samuel. But let's begin with 1 Chronicles chapter 10. <coughs> Talks about the death of King Saul. 1 Chronicles 10 verse 13 at the paragraph mark it says, So Saul died for his transgression which he committed against the Lord, even against the word of the Lord which he kept not, and also for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it, and inquired not of the Lord. Therefore he slew him and turned the kingdom unto David, the son of Jesse. I want to preach uh, tonight on Saul after his fall. It says here that he sinned in against the word of the Lord in not keeping it, and secondly, going to somebody with a familiar spirit. He got messed around with witchcraft. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll speak to us and show us some things from your word to help us, Lord, recognize when uh, things are just gone too far or when they're getting real close to it. And uh, Lord, I pray that we'll learn some lessons that help us in our own lives and maybe in the lives of others. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, 1 Samuel. Turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 18, and we'll look a little more closely at this. Now, King Saul had a real promising start. Um, you know the story of how children of Israel didn't, didn't trust the Lord to take care of them like he had been, and they decided they wanted a king like all the other nations. Mistake number one. When you want to be like everybody else around you, you just made a bad mistake. Amen. The last thing you want to do down here on this planet, down here in this world, is be like your friends and family and neighbors. Amen. Unless you are in the unusual position of having friends and family and neighbors who live in a daily walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we all know individuals that way, but seldom do we know a large group, especially in this day. And less and less do we have the influence that we used to have in this country. And we've talked about these matters before. So Saul had a promising background. He had a pretty good attitude at first. He was very humble when the Lord chose him. Thought he was not worthy. Uh, he had a very great election or cho uh, choosing. And it was a big scene. And Samuel, the prophet of God, no less than Samuel himself, was impressed with Saul. He was thrilled at Saul. He said, man, the people will look up to him, and it's the one the Lord has chosen, so I know I'm good. And Samuel had a hard time accepting it when the Lord dropped Saul, didn't he? He mourned all night. The Lord got aggravated with him and said, how long are you going to mourn for Saul, seeing I've rejected him? And we'll talk a little bit about that. But something went wrong. From Saul's promising background and attitude, all of a sudden he had a disturbing lack of regard. You knew something was wrong when he was in the town where the man of God was, and he didn't know where in the world he was and didn't know him when he came into contact with him. If he'd have been a man that was close to the Lord, he'd have known Samuel, I'm pretty sure. It wasn't like Samuel was that distant from that part of the world. He was there. Then you see a lack of reason in Saul. Bob Jones Sr. used to say good men are always reasonable, and Saul would not be reasonable. Then when he messed up, you saw a lack of repentance in Saul. He got bullheaded. Bull he got stubborn, hard-hearted. 
So in spite of this, he got into an adversarial relationship with God. It got where Saul and God were enemies. Bad place to be. Uh, if ever once you find yourself at enmity with God, hit your knees that day, that <laughs> night, whenever you find it, and say, Lord, what do we have to do to fix our relationship? You do not want to strive with your maker. But Saul stubbornly kept going. So by studying Saul, especially after his fall, let's learn about the characteristics of those who disregard God's commandments as he did consistently, and let's examine Saul's mentality by studying his, I guess you could say, his personality after his fall. All right, uh, so this is after his fall. Things have already gone wrong. He's already disobeyed the Lord, and the Lord's already said, forget it, I'm going to somebody else. And let's pick up the reading in 1 Kings chapter 18. Verse 6, they're coming back from battle. 1 Samuel 18, 6. And it came to pass as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all cities of Israel, singing and dancing, to meet King Saul. He's king. He's the one they're coming out to meet. But, notice what they said, with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music, and the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul hath slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Now, they may not have meant anything by it. They might have thought, well, David's just a young man. Nobody actually thinks he's ready to take over the kingdom. But because the Lord, through a miraculous thing, did bring a great victory to Israel, they were singing about it. But Saul didn't see it that way. Let me tell you about somebody who is insecure, who has an inferiority complex. They think everything that happens and everything that's said and everything that's sung is in, somehow, in some way against them oh, and yeah. a slap at them. Now, Saul was head and shoulders taller than David. Saul could have whooped David. Saul had the riches of the kingdom. Saul had the authority of the kingdom. Saul was in every way superior to David as human eyes would look at it at this point. And yet Saul was real insecure about this. Look at the rest of the passage, verse 8. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands, and what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. Now you and I know that God did plan to give David the kingdom years later. But Saul, as far as I know at this point, doesn't know that yet. Furthermore, David sure isn't ready to take it now. Let me tell you what happens. What happens is you start getting jealous over petty, silly things Amen. when the Lord has rejected you. Little minor things like the little song they were singing about the little boy who had the miraculous win all of a sudden starts getting in your crawl. And you can't stand it. And you start watching that person and thinking of a way that you can get them. So he allows jealousy to enter. And Saul is very self-centered. He does not see himself as king of a great kingdom and the leader of God's people. He sees himself in personal animosity. Samson fell into this trap, didn't he? 
Remember when him and the Philistines were having that trouble? He said, well, I'll be avenged on them. They did this to me, so I'll get them back. He didn't see it as God's people versus the Philistines. He saw it as Samson against these mean guys that got one over on me. I'm going to get one over back on them. Whenever you start taking everything personally, that will wreck your life. Stop thinking everything messes you up. As I have reflected in my own life, I, I didn't think I had this weakness. But as I reflected in my own life, I thought of times where something didn't really have anything to do with me. But for, I guess, insecurity to make sure that it didn't, I started moping and acting all sad and moody over it. So somebody would reassure me, oh no, it's not you, Bobby. <laughs> And how weak and sick and stupid and sinful that is. It ain't all about you. Amen. And you don't need somebody to constantly reassure you, especially if you're a grown man. How distasteful for a grown man to act that way. It's bad enough for a little boy or a little girl. Amen. How much more for a grown man? Amen. Now look at Saul. Here we are in uh, verse 8, and he's all displeased when the girls were, when the ladies were singing uh, about David, and, and David was no threat to him yet at this point for sure. And if he was later, it was only because the Lord brought him. Look at the wording again here in uh, chapter 19 and verse 17. When uh, David's married to Michael, and uh, <coughs> David runs away because Saul's about to kill him says in verse 17, And Saul said unto Michael, Why hast thou deceived me so, and sent away mine enemy, that he has escaped? And Michael answered Saul, He said unto me, Let me go, why should I kill thee? Saul sees it as a strictly personal contest. Look at chapter 22, verse 8, when uh, he goes in and kills a whole town of priests. Now, buddy, when you go in and kill a whole town of people, you are a butcher. Any normal person, even in self-defense, that has to hurt somebody or has to kill somebody in self-defense, doesn't go in and wipe out a whole town. That's a terrorist. But when he is talking with them, notice what he says in verse 8. That all of you have conspired against me, and there is none that showeth me that my son hath made a league with the son of Jesse, and there is none of you that is sorry for me. Or showeth unto me that my son hath stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as at this day. Down in verse 13, And Saul said unto him, Why have ye conspired against me, thou and the son of Jesse, in that thou hast given him bread and a sword, and hast inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me to lie in wait as at this day? Me, 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 my, 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 I, I, I. He, just, he is eat up with self. He thinks everything has to do with him and everybody against him. Look at uh, chapter 23, verse 21. When they do tell him that David and his men are at a place there, notice what he says in verse 21. And Saul said, Blessed be ye of the Lord, for ye have compassion on me. Saul, big tall man, head and shoulders taller than everybody else. King has the whole army at his disposal. And just, oh, these people are being so mean to me. Oh, I'm glad you've had mercy on me. Yeah, well, Saul, you don't need mercy. You could squash anybody looking at it through uh, earthly, physical eyes. So he allows jealousy to enter. Let me tell you something. When somebody's about gone, 
I mean, stupid little petty stuff is all seen as me, me, me. That's true. And if we're honest with ourselves, like I said, I was said for years well, I didn't have this problem, and then I started looking closer, and I found a few places where I did. Oh yeah. And I'm ashamed to say it. I'm embarrassed. But when it gets to where it's ruling your life, where you're willing to wipe out a town of people, man, you got problems. Hey. He allowed jealousy to enter through petty self-centeredness. But then it gets worse. You start just all worried about your own flesh. Let me tell you what the next step is. The devil shows up. Then it came from a demon. All right, we're still in 1 Samuel. Look at chapter 18 again. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 9. And Saul eyed David from that day and forward, and it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house, and David played with his hand as at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand, and Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it, and David avoided out of his presence twice. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departing from Saul. All right, now, at first, he was being petty. But now, there's a spirit inside of him, and that spirit recognizes the Lord. And Saul knows that Lord is not with him, and he recognizes the Lord on David. Let me tell you something. As you get closer to the Lord, that's a blessed thing. That's a wonderful thing. You and him will have great fellowship, and he'll protect you in great ways. But here's the, here's the bad side of it. You'll also get closer to the devil. Because the devil notices the Lord there. And you're going to have to trust God. So first of all, it was through self-centeredness. Then it was through a demon. But notice this startling phrase. Verse 10, the evil spirit from God came upon Saul. God sent an evil spirit on this guy. What a thing. Through a demon. Uh, I've already referred to this, but I'll look back and read a couple of verses from chapter 16. Actually, the end of chapter 15. It says, Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death, and nevertheless Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him? All right, now look down at verse 14. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servants said unto him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. Let our Lord now command thy servants which are before thee to seek out a man who is a cunning player on an harp. And it shall come to pass, when the evil spirit from God is upon thee, that he shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be well. His servants noticed something's wrong with that guy. There is something wrong in his spirit. And they had a musician lined up to come play some of that sweet, melodious, harmonious music. You do not want to hear the hard rocking stuff. And so uh, it was through a demon. Now, I'm not going to turn for sake of time to 1 Kings chapter 22, but you remember when Jehoshaphat and Ahab are together getting ready to go to war, and they call the prophets to say, uh, how are we going to do when we go to war? when we go to battle. And all Ahab's prophets said, oh, you're going to do great. Here's the horns with which you're going to push them away. <laughs> and Jehoshaphat knows immediately their preaching doesn't sound right. And he said, um, is there a prophet of the Lord here? 
<laughs> Ahab said, well, yeah, there's Micaiah, but I hate him because he always prophesies evil. Notice he didn't say he prophesies true or false. That wasn't what Ahab cared. He said he prophesies evil concerning me. You're always concerned with how somebody makes you feel when you get to this petty jealousy. Amen. That's good. You are not concerned with what they say, whether it's true or not, or whether the power of the Spirit of God is there or not. You're just worried about how they make you feel. You will not like a God-inspired preacher if you're worried about how he makes you feel. Because there will be times he will make you mad, let me tell you. Oh, yeah. You know how I know? Because if the message comes from God, it makes you mad. <laughs> I have wrestled the Lord all night on multiple occasions over some stuff he was telling me. I understand these things. So it was first through petty self-centeredness, then it was through a demon. All right, but then it gets worse. He not only allowed jealousy to enter, but he allowed it to turn to envy and become bitter. All right, look at chapter 20 and verse uh, 30, I guess. Here's his own son. Here's his own son, Jonathan, coming to him and saying, all right, David isn't here. Uh, he's had to go uh, be with his brothers, be with his family for a little while. And Jonathan, you know, covered for him and said, that's you know, not a problem. Verse 30, then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said unto him, Thou son of the perverse, rebellious woman, do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion and unto the confusion of thy mother's nakedness? That's kind of rough talk, isn't it? You know what the new versions update that to, don't you? <laughs> I better not say it from the pulpit. Verse 31, For as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established, nor thy kingdom. Wherefore now send and fetch him unto me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul his father and said unto him, Wherefore shall he be slain? What hath he done? And Saul cast a javelin at him to smite him, whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David. Yeah, I guess so. When your own daddy has taken a javelin at you to smite you to the wall and could have killed you, yeah, he's, he's out of his mind. Hey, you better watch out for petty jealousy, especially when it grows into bitter envy. You'll be doing things you never meant. You'll be saying things you never meant. You'll be saying things you wish you could take back. Oh, the mess it gets to. What's the problem? Here's what the problem is. Saul sinned against the word of the Lord and didn't do it. And then he kept going and kept going until he ended up in a mess and God had rejected him. Now, you don't have to be completely gone as far as Saul goes to have some of these characteristics, do you? We've probably seen a few of them in our own lives, but God help us not to let them take over. So first of all, it's in opposition to God's will. He knows that the son of Jesse is going to be the next king. He pretty well comes right out and says it in verse 31. Furthermore, in chapter 24, in verse 20, it said, he comes right out and admits it to David. He says, And now, behold, I know well that thou shalt surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in thine hand. In another place, Jonathan tells David that I know you're going to be king, and my father knows that you're going to be king. So by this time, word is out. They know it. 
And Saul is so bitter about it, he's throwing javelins at David and now throwing a javelin at his own son and in another case wipes out a whole town of priests. Now that's somebody that has not just got some petty jealousy, although that may be how it started. Now he's got some bitter envy going on. Amen. Don't let it grow. Let, you know why the Bible talks about that root of bitterness? That's it. Because once that thing takes root, you are going to have a hard time getting it out of there. You better stop it. All right, uh, let's look at the path, passage over here in James chapter 3. An important passage on uh, envy. James chapter 3. I'm doing pretty good on time. James chapter 3, verse uh, 7. For every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Amen. There's plenty of Baptists need to know that. Need to know that verse. Would to God I'd always applied it. Verse 11, Doth the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine, figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. So if you're wise and endued with knowledge... Here's the effect it should have on you. Verse 14. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife are, if strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Uh, there are Bible believers on internet, whatever you call those, chat rooms and social media and stuff and all they do is fuss and fight and yell and scream on their little keyboards. This wisdom descendeth not from above but is earthly, sensual, devilish. I understand that once in a while you need to take a stand. I'm, I'm all for that. Earnestly contend for the faith. I'm all for that. Not 24-7, 365 days a year, man. There are some people, nine out of ten of their posts is a big fuss telling how somebody else doesn't believe the Bible because they word some little thing differently than they do. This wisdom is not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Ah, oh, but look at how much more pleasant is verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Does that sound like Saul? <laughs> no. Unfortunately, Saul is that bitter envying and strife in your heart. That's, that's what Saul is. So he allowed jealousy to enter. Then he allowed envy to become bitter in opposition to the known will of God to the point of injuring his own son and wiping out a town of priests when he commanded the people to kill those priests. You know, a bunch of them stopped and said, no, I'm not going to kill God's priests. And he had to get Doeg the Edomite to do it. 
That is an important red flag. When some of your people say, wait a minute, we're going too far here. When some people that love you and love God and care about you say, wait a minute, let me warn you here, you're going too far, that's a real good time for you to stop and assess the situation and quit just going on angry. That might be a good time for you to take an hour or two off or maybe a day or two off. Get your head about you before you mess up and throw a javelin at somebody. <coughs> so he allowed jealousy to enter. He allowed envy to become bitter. Then, lo and behold, he went so far as to participate in witchcraft. I mean, he got straight in the devil's business. If you are messing with the curious arts, you have no idea what you're messing with. If you take witchcraft lightly, there are some powers going on there that you can't touch. Amen. In fact, you've messed around and watched a movie with it on there and watched a TV show with it on there and nothing seemed to happen. Doesn't mean that something isn't going to happen. And doesn't also mean that something hadn't already happened on the inside of you. You just haven't noticed yet because you don't have the spiritual discernment to see it. You don't mess with witchcraft. And to show you how opposed Saul had been to it, when the Lord does rebuke him for not obeying with the Amalekites, notice how he words it. 1 Samuel 15, verse 23. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Why did he just happen to bring that one up? Because Saul had made a big show that he was going to get rid of all the witchcraft in the area. No witchcraft was going to be allowed in his kingdom. And so God said, you know that witchcraft you talk so big about? Rebellion is like that. What are you doing rebellion, rebelling against my word? Because he knew that Saul would uh, understand when he put it like that. Now, let's look towards the end of Saul's life and see where he started to give in to these things. 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse 5. And when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart greatly trembled. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by prophets. Then said Saul unto his servants, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a woman that hath a familiar spirit in Endor. And Saul disguised himself and put on other raiment, and he went, and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night, and he said, I pray thee, divine unto me by the familiar spirit, and bring me him up, whom I shall name unto thee. And the woman said unto him, Behold, thou knowest what Saul hath done, how he hath cut off those that had familiar spirits, and the wizards out of the land. Wherefore then layest thou a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul sware to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord liveth, there shall no punishment happen to thee for this thing. Saul was known for that. This woman dared not do it unless it was with somebody that she knew wouldn't tell on her because of what Saul had done. You know how you know when somebody's gone? When long-standing convictions that they've had for years. In this case with Saul, it was decades. All of a sudden, they turn around on all of them. I have seen people backslide, and you couldn't believe it was the same person you'd known for the last decade. Goodbye. You're gone. Amen. Very few make it back from that place. You know what Saul does? He doesn't make it back. He dies at the hand of the Philistines here. How did it start? He allowed some jealousy to enter. How did it progress? He allowed the bitterness of envy to get worse and worse. 
Next thing you know, he is throwing javelins at his own family and God's people. He is bitter. He is angry. He is fighting. He's having fuss after fuss. He's having breakup after breakup. His life is getting more and more miserable. What's the problem? He left God. It isn't that he had a personality problem. It isn't that, you know, he had too much of this chemical or too much of this hormone, although I fully admit those things can contribute some. I fully admit that. But the big problem is your relationship with God. When things are right with God, they're right everywhere else. And when things are not right with God, they can't be completely right everywhere else. He abandoned a long-standing conviction. And then he went on into full-fledged curious arts and bringing up spirits and God knows what. Sure enough, verse 11, Then said the woman, Whom shall I bring up unto thee? And he said, Bring me up Samuel. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice, and the woman spake to Saul, saying, Why hast thou deceived me? For thou art Saul. And the king said unto her, Be not afraid, for what sawest thou? And the woman said unto Saul, I saw gods ascending out of the earth. Little G-O-D-S. When you start messing with curious arts, you're dealing with the gods. Amen. And they're stronger than you. And they're smarter than you. And they got powers you can't even understand. You don't want to bring them up. Now, they're real. I'll give you that they're real. By all accounts, this this does appear to really be Samuel that he brings up. It's real. I'll give you that. But it is not a power you won't be fooling with. You say, what should he do? He tried to talk to God. Well, there was another guy that tried to talk to God and couldn't get anywhere with him. You know what he did? Went ahead and just wrestled him all night until he did get a hold of him. Now, there's going to be times that the Lord is going to seem like he is distant and like your prayers are not getting past the ceiling. What should you do? Get out on a Ouija board? (laughs) Say, well, I tried the Lord and he wouldn't answer. I better get me a witch. You better not. (laughs) Let me tell you what to do. Wrestle God. Say, I need my sleep. Not as bad as you need God. (laughs) You need God worse than you need anything in this world. You keep on till you get a hold of him. I don't care if it takes five nights. You don't want to go to a witch. I mean, it's real. She makes a prophecy, or he gets this prophecy through what she does, and it comes true. I'll give you all that. But the blessing of God wasn't on any of it, was it? She was scared to death because she saw the gods were really coming up. And they did. Verse 14, and he said unto her, What form is he of? And she said, An old man cometh up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed himself. And Samuel said to Saul, Why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? And Saul answered, I am sore distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God is departed from me. Thank you for that word of testimony, Saul. If you would have diagnosed this problem a lot earlier, you wouldn't be in this shape. Amen. But God has departed from me and answereth me no more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called thee that thou mayest make known unto me what I shall do. Uh, Remember, Samuel's a prophet of God. His answers to you come from God. Verse 16, Then said Samuel, Wherefore then dost thou ask of me? seeing the Lord has departed from thee and is become thine enemy. Folks, I don't care how you have to humble yourself. 
I don't care what you have to give up. I don't care how bad it hurts. Don't get in a place where God is your enemy. Amen. That is going to hurt worse than any other possible scenario. You can't come up with a scenario that hurts worse than that one. Saul loses his life and his son's lives and the kingdom and his honor and everything. Why? Because God has become his enemy. That, that's the one you cannot allow. If it costs every dime you've got, if it costs all your health, if it costs all your life, if it causes a fuss with some people that you'd rather not fuss with, don't fuss with God. Keep him number one. Verse 17, And the Lord hath done to him as he spake by me, for the Lord hath rent the kingdom out of thine hand and given it to thy neighbor, even to David, because thou obeyest not the voice of the Lord, nor executest his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me. The Lord also shall deliver the host of Israel into the hand of the Philistines, then Saul fell straightway all along on the earth and was sore afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no bread all the day nor all the night. What a mess he's in. I can't help but think of wicked king Manasseh. And what a mess he got in. The Bible says he did worse than all the heathen that were before him. And they came and defeated him and took him captive. But let me tell you what Manasseh did do. Manasseh humbled himself and repented and turned to God even in captivity. And you know what the Lord did? The Lord restored Manasseh, the wickedest king of any of them, worse than even the heathen. I mean, you talk about somebody that didn't deserve a second chance. Manasseh did not deserve a second chance. I feel confident anybody under the sound of my voice, either in person or on a recording, has not done as bad as Manasseh, Amen. and God took him back. If you find yourself in the place of Manasseh or Saul or one of these people, let me tell you what to do. Go back to God. You say, well, I tried that. He won't answer me. Keep trying, man. I pray, but they won't get past the ceiling. Knock a hole in the ceiling. Keep going. Let me tell you what the Lord does. He restores people that have gone further than you ever thought about going. But you do have to do this. You do have to keep trying. You do not call a witch. That is not what you do. You do not try to do like all the nations around you. That is not what you do. They don't have the God that you have. You go to God, and when he doesn't answer, you go again. And when he doesn't answer, you go again. Didn't Jesus not tell us to do that? Yeah. Will he not answer them? Though he bear long with them, men ought always to pray and not to faint. What if I've tried it 72 times, God? Try it 73. The only hope you've got is God. That's the only thing you should try, and you should never quit trying till you get home to glory. Saul said, all right, well, the Lord didn't answer, I'll go to a witch. <laughs> and I'll get Samuel. Oh, wait a minute, he's on God's side. <laughs> he didn't get any better news that way than he did the other. To demonstrate that God had made enemies with him. You say, well, this story ends sad. Well, yeah, for Saul, but it ends real good for David, doesn't it? <laughs> you know why? David was a man after God's own heart. You know why? When the Lord departed from Saul, he went to David. There's one lesson from this message. Keep the Lord with you. 
I didn't say live a sinless life. None of us can. But you know what we can do? We can keep going back to God even after we sinned. You say, you don't know what I've done. I bet you ain't done what Manasseh did. And he was under the Old Testament economy, and God still took him back. You probably ain't even done what the prodigal son did. And the father took him back. And you may not have left uh, Paul and uh, Barnabas like John Mark did. And he ends up being profitable for the ministry. Let me tell you what to do. Wherever you find yourself, just keep going back to God. It's not good. It's not right. We shouldn't have done him that way where we've gone bad on him. I agree. Especially if we've done it multiple times. I'm ashamed to say I have in some ways. But you know what I do? I keep going back to God. Yeah. I'm in my Bible and praying every day. Why? Because I'm such a great guy? No, because I'm not the man I should be. So I keep going and keep looking. I don't want to end up with God as my enemy like Saul did. Keep going to God. So what is the characteristics? What are the characteristics of Saul after his fall? Number one, he allowed petty, silly stuff, jealousy, to enter into his heart. First of all, through petty self-centeredness. And then once you do that, the devil picks it up and says, Wow, I can make a fire with this. He just adds all that kindling to the fire, and there it goes. Secondly, he allowed the envy to become bitter, where he was, do he was doing stuff he almost couldn't take back. What if he'd have hit David with that javelin? What if he'd have hit his own son, Jonathan, with that javelin? He did wipe out a whole town of priests. You can't take that back. <laughs> you better be careful with your bitter envy before you do something that there's no fixing, before there's no remedy. And then he abandoned a long-standing conviction. People that had known him for decades knew he would never do this. But after bitter envy and strife, he'd do it then. And it was straight dealing with the gods and the witches and the power of the devil himself. And this was the man chosen by God to be the king of Israel. If it can happen to him, it can happen to you and me. God help us to look out for these signs. Amen. Your Heavenly Father.